0: Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Amy Stuttle. If you don't know by now, I'm the CEO of Victory Men's Health, so that's why you hear me frequently reference Victory during the podcast. Today, I'm interviewing Dr. Jeffrey Rudabush, who is a very well-known and respected doctor in this field of medicine. This man's bio is like six pages long, so I'm going to rat off the cliff version here. Dr. Rudebush is a board-certified osteopathic, naturopathic physician who was trained in sports and exercise preventative medicine. He did his internal medicine internship at the National Naval Medical Center. After graduation, he was the chief resident in premier sports medicine positions, such as the Olympic Training Center. San Diego State University's athletic medicine program, Detroit Lions training camp, Navy SEAL Special Warfare Command Medical Department, and the list goes on and on. Dr. Rudabush never stops his education and has earned numerous postgraduate degrees and certifications in age management medicine, nutritional functional medicine, exercise and sports medicine, holistic and sports nutrition, Integrative Medicine, Advanced Fitness, and Medical Fitness Specialization, and Strength and Conditioning Specialization. Whoa, doctor, you like your education, don't you?
1: I really do. I (laughs) really do, yes. As long as somebody else is paying for it, like the Navy did, I'll go to school forever.
0: (laughs) I love it. I mean, that is very, very impressive. Do you have a part in that training that stands out to you as your favorite
1: Well, yes, obviously the Sports Medicine Residency Program at the prestigious UCSD slash SDSU and having been able to rotate through different areas like the Olympic Training Center in Chula Vista, the Detroit Lions in Detroit, work with the athletic department team in both San Diego State and UCSD, got to work with the Padres, I got to work with the Chargers. So I've trained with and been a part of a lot of elite programs and gotten to know a lot of athletes very well, in particular Junior Seau. May he rest in peace.
0: I want to talk a little bit today about nutrition, fitness, and hormones. Because as you know, they all have a symbiotic relationship here. And a lot of times you see patients come in and they're here to optimize their hormones, but they're needing to optimize these other parts of their life as well. And one of the things that I didn't read in your bio is that you're like, a little part, bro, you were a bodybuilder back in the day, which is very unique. So you bring a very unique and interesting perspective to this, I believe. So I want to start with some of the nutrition things, some of the common mistakes that you see men make. And I want to talk about like just average men, like dads, crazy schedules, running to sports, nutrition mistakes you see, and tips that you give your patients when they want to start to optimize.
1: Well, this is a very broad question, Amy, and I didn't know how to even bite this off and and find a good starting point, but let me do my best. One of the things I see most often in men who want to optimize their health, they get into a TRT or TOT program, they make mistakes thinking that testosterone in particular is going to change their physique without implementing any other lifestyle changes. I tell my my men in particular that, you know, abs are not made in the gym. They're made in the kitchen. And so I tell people that as far as the many, many sports training diets out there, you've heard of so many different diets. And I'm always asked by men, Doc, which diet do you recommend? And my answer is simple. It's always the one you can adhere to. But anyhow, in my travels as a sports nutritionist, I will say this about the best, in my opinion, diet to adhere to for any type of athlete and just common Joe. And that's the Paleo Med. It combines both Paleolithic diet and the Mediterranean. So you combine the bo- both of them, you get the best of both worlds. And there are books written on Paleo Med. So it's just the best of both worlds. Now, I will also say that intermittent fasting is the only tried and true method of increasing your healthy lifespan. Calorie restriction, or CR, is the only method ever proven to enhance and prolong your lifestyle. So I tell men how important it is to implement some sort of intermittent fasting in whatever diet they do. I mean, there's the warrior diet that has just says one meal a day. You think about it, we feed our animals one time a day. And where is it written that we are entitled to three meals a day? Where is that written? It's not. So I tell I tell my men, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. No, it just means breaking fast. So you can have you can break your fast at nine in the morning. Or 11 or 12, or one or two. That's your breakfast. That's your first meal of the day, which is the most important meal. So I tell people listen, read about the Paleo Med diet. Don't get hung up on percentages and counting calories. I always tell my men, weigh yourself daily. Always check your weight because you can nip it in the bud if you're starting to put some weight on. Men come in all the time and they're 50, 60, sometimes a hundred pounds overweight. And I asked them, did that happen overnight? And they said, no, doc. It's a, so I said, yes, it's a creeping disorder. You have to nip in the bud as you see it, your weight going up and up. So that's very important. But protein is vital to any human's Longevity, especially a man that wants to optimize his health using testosterone optimization therapy. But protein supplementation is very, very key. Let me back up. As a member of the American College of Sports Medicine, I will tell you this. All they recommend for anybody, the ACSM, is that you partake in 150 minutes of aerobic, that's basically cardio, like aerobic training, like running and PTing on a treadmill. But 150 minutes a week is either five days a week at 30 minutes per segment. But you can break it up. You can have 10-minute sessions, five-minute sessions, as long as the intensity is up there. But 150 minutes per week, it doesn't have to be anything more than just walking briskly. That is a great exercise. So I recommend the American College of Sports Medicine's recommendation for exercise. Now there's a Panache Sports Nutrition group that I belong to. I'm a member and board certified in it. It's known as the International Society of Sports Nutrition and they are the best of the best. So anybody that wants to know about the best sports nutrition supplements to take I recommend you look into the ISSN, again, the International Society of Sports Nutrition, headed by Dr. Jose Antonio, a PhD in sports nutrition. So I know, and I know Dr. Antonio very, very well. I've given talks at the ISSN lectures or conferences they have once or twice a year, but I would recommend that. So, Again, ACSM for exercise, ISSN for your best way to get optimized sports nutritionally. Paleo Med diet is the diet that I feel is the best anti-aging slash longevity diet. And intermittent fasting is very, very key because that's the only way it's been shown in the lab and in humans to extend your life, your healthy life.
0: So talk about your personal intermittent fasting. How do you do it in your personal life?
1: That's a good question, Amy. I've, in you know, 40-some years of doing this, actually started in the 60s, I believe in intermittent fasting. So me personally, I get up and I don't eat until 9 o'clock in the morning, at the earliest. But if I'm not hungry, I won't eat till I feel like eating. Sometimes it's 10, 11, 12, but 9 o'clock usually. So between nine and five is the period that I try to eat, but I only eat two meals in that nine to five window. And if I have it, feel like I need a snack, it's always a protein snack in that nine to five window. Now, you can also partake in real fasting. Like, you know, I've trained overseas, I've had the luxury with my career in the Navy to have practiced medicine in Europe, Japan, Okinawa. Africa, Middle East. So I've been, I practice mass on five of our seven continents. So I've had the, the, I guess, good luck and good fortune to see how they do it in other countries. So there are a lot of cultures that believe in straight three day fasts, five day fasts. I must say, I spent a couple of years in Kuwait, and you've heard of Ramadan. That's the four weeks of the year that they, yeah. they're supposed to fast. However, they don't truly fast. What they do is they can't eat between 7 p.m. and 7 a.m. So all day long, they don't eat or drink water. Now, remember, this is Kuwait in the summertime. It's 135, 140 degrees. But they get by and they cheat at night because at 7 p.m., they will gorge themselves and get become very, very sick. And believe it or not, their ERs get filled with people who have Gastrointestinal distress during Ramadan because they eat so much after 7 p.m. But the whole idea is to, is to fast because only during fasting is your body in a reparatory phase or autophagy, which is a fancy word meaning that your body can go ahead and engulf debris and metabolites and toxins that aren't doing you any good. And that's how your body repairs itself. Believe it or not, when you fast, you really, really are able to heal more quickly than if you're eating food. So, fasting has been around forever. I believe in it. But, me personally, I don't eat before nine in the morning. I don't eat after five o'clock at night. And sometimes I won't eat one day a week at all. Just Sundays, I just take Sundays off, just drink water. But it varies.
0: When are you doing your workouts in there? Are you working out? Are you a morning workout yes. guy? Which, by the way, for the listeners, this man is shredded. Okay, I'm not sure how old you are, but you would put most 20 year olds' bodies to shame. So this guy knows what well, he's I talking showed, about. I show
1: <laughs> my 57 years in his face here, but no, I'm my my, my body fat 6.4 percent. But that's one. It runs in my family. I'm very lean, so leanness runs in my family. But my my pro program is I'm up at four four thirty in the morning, and I usually have a cup of coffee, one, drink a glass of green tea, one, and then I go to the gym. And my time, my time is usually six to seven that I train, an hour a day, seven days a week since I was 14. Now, you do that math. That's a lot of hours spent in the gym. Yes, it is. I've made a lot of mistakes, but I've learned from my mistakes.
0: So with the paleo med, for the listener that's like, I, I don't even know what that is, just mention some of the foods that are consumed for that diet. It
1: varies. And I've written some down here. But I thought you might ask me that question. It's fish, lean meats, grains, nuts, berries. And believe it or not, in the Mediterranean, they believe in a lot of olive oil. And so sometimes I'll just do a. A table when I was in Greece, I was amazed at how lean people are, and they actually will take a, a, a tablespoon or two or three every day of extra virgin olive oil to keep them lean. And of course, it gives you the, the satiation because it fills you up with that oil. So that's what the Mediterranean diet is it's fish, some poultry, lean meats, grains, and of course vegetables but people think that fruit's good for you and it is but only in moderation you know i have a lot of people that can't lose weight but they think that if they eat 10 apples and eight oranges a day they're going to lose weight because it's it's whole food it is but it's got calories in it and of course the paleo diet is is about more archaic you know how we ate as in our ancestral days we ate more meat and some plant-based foods tubers grains nuts Insects, if we had to, but it mimics the diet that we were bioengineered to evolve with when we first were placed on this earth. Depending on what you believe in your religion, that could be a couple thousand years ago or several millennia. But yeah, the Paleo Med diet is a combination, and there are books on it. There are books on the Paleo Med diet. You can just buy a book on the Paleo diet and the Mediterranean and just combine the two. I just feel that they both are good. And I just pick and choose from both. So I I call it the paleo med.
0: And so before we move into the nutrition, let's talk about your pre-supplementation. What are you taking for pre-workout? If anything, maybe the answer is nothing. Well,
1: I've dabbled with that pre-workouts for many, many, many years. (laughs) Let me tell you something about what I do now. Okay. Water is the most important nutrient you can take before you go to the gym, period. But I do believe significantly as a sports medicine nutritionist in the gold standard, creatine monohydrate or creatine sulfate. Now, of the two, the sulfate is more water soluble and is more able to get into your system. So I'm a big proponent of creatine sulfate and HMB, which is hydroxymethylbutyrate, which is a metabolite of leucine. And leucine is the one. Amino acid that spikes your growth hormone more than any of them do, period. So HMB combined with creatine, creatine sulfate is my pre-workout concoction.
0: And are there certain brands that you're using there?
1: The, believe it or not, as per Dr. Jose Antonio, the head of ISIN, there's VPX and there's Dymatize. D-Y-M-A-T-I-Z-E, two great brands. Now, creatine is everywhere, and I tend to get my creatine from a pharmacy-based nutraceutical company, whether it be Douglas Labs or Designs for Health or Pure Encapsulations. But creatine, there's so much science behind the efficacy of creatine if used properly. And oh, by the way, it's not just for increasing cell voluminization, which gives you more buffering capacity, which allows you to train longer and harder, but it's also been shown to be very, very beneficial as to slowing down brain degenerative processes. It's supposed to stave off Alzheimer's, maybe Parkinson's. There's studies done in old patients that if they give them creatine, they're able to reach back into their memories for long-term memory, have more recollection, simply by using creatine as a supplement. So it's for brain health and indeed muscle health due to its cell voluminizing effect.
0: Okay. So now let's move on to the fitness part. So now what would you recommend to that same guy, the working dad that's running around like a crazy person, trying to maximize their time? And how are you going to maximize their gym results? What advice would you give them?
1: The number one thing that I see people make mistakes with when it comes to their time in the gym is they, they violate the rule of twos, which in sports medicine simply means too much, too soon, too often, too quick, too hard. They overtrade and they train when they're sore. They don't realize that you tear down muscle in the gym you repair it when you're out of the gym. So one, don't train a muscle group when it's sore, it's prone for injury. And two, don't overtrain. If you overtrain, you're going to feel lethargic, no motivation, your gains have been stifled, you can't sleep, you're irritable, you're moody. Those are signs of overtraining in the man. Now again, most of your average Joes aren't gonna overtrain, but they're gonna make all kinds of mistakes in the gym. They wanna go in the gym and start lifting weights very heavy. They sacrifice technique for weight and they lose their form and they're prone to injury. So that's that's the number one thing I see. Men just do too much too soon and they have their expectations don't jive with reality. If you're older and your testosterone has waned a bit and you go on testosterone like many people do, they think that they're going to get a body like, well, let's make up like Arnold Schwarzenegger overnight. Well, well, I mean, I'm (laughs) only 210 now. I was 260 when I was a big guy. But, yeah, you can't expect too much. And um, you just have to realize that it takes time. It's slow and steady wins the race. When it comes to weight training, you have to be persistent. Like I said, I've trained seven days a week since I was 14, and I'm 67 now. Yeah, it's a lot of years, and I don't miss a day. That six to seven hour in the morning is mine. I don't miss work. I did it every day in medical school, residency. That's my time. But you got to be persistent, persistent.
0: If they don't have six, seven days a week to dedicate to it. Do you think somebody can get results in the gym if they have three days a week they can give to working out? Of course.
1: I recommend a minimum of two days a week. Three days a week is actually optimum. I mean, obviously, the less days you go to the gym, obviously, the more body parts you're going to have to train that day. For me, I, I only do two body parts per day and just shoulders by themselves on Sunday, but the older you get, the more time you need out of the gym to repair yourself. So uh, older men, I just say three days a week, whether it be Monday, Wednesday, Friday to start out, or Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. But three days is what I recommend for the novice to dedicate that time in the gym and get some gains.
0: What about the cardio?
1: Cardio is what a lot of men don't like to do, and I'm one of those men, I don't mind cardio, but I can't do both at the same time. If I do if I do cardio first, I wouldn't recommend it. It really detracts from your intensity when it comes to the weight training. However, if you wanna do them both, then I'd recommend you do cardio after your weight training. But yes, you can do them both, but some men will go Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, take Wednesdays and the weekends off, There's all kinds of ways to skin the cat. There's not one, and you know, 40-some years of of doing this, there's not a certain regimen that I haven't tried. So you have to experiment with the regimens and find what works for you.
0: Would your advice be different for somebody that's trying to put on gains versus that person that's carrying an extra 40 pounds in the midsections? Would you have those people training differently with their cardio to lifting weight ratio?
1: Yes, obviously, as I told you earlier, that the abs are not made in the gym. So I have a guy that's having a you know, big beer belly, so to speak. I tell him, you know, your diet is more important in how you're going to repartition that body fat and turn it into lean body mass than weight training is. But yes, I tell men that who want to do both at least three days a week doing anaerobic training, which is resistance training and at least two days a week of doing cardio. But again, if you train hard in the gym and more like a circuit training where you're not taking much rest between sets, you can get your wind up. So you can kill two birds with one stone by taking a resistance training and turning into a circuit program.
0: Okay. So what about post-workout? Are you taking anything post-workout?
1: Yes. There's a window of opportunity for muscle accretion. So after I work out, there's a 45-minute-to-an-hour window. So say their reputable sports medicine physicians and physiologists that within that 45 minutes to an hour after you train is when you need to get on board some protein. And more particular, the whey protein, the whey isolates, are key for muscle accretion after you work out. And again, uh, Dymatize has a great... Whey protein isolate, but I recommend highly. That's what I use.
0: Okay, so let's move on to the hormone portion of this, and there's a lot we could cover on this. So let's talk about your experiencing optimizing hormones, and I don't know where do you want to start. Do you want to do you want to talk about your protocols, or do you want to see talk about some of the common mistakes we see when optimizing oh, let's hormones? Let's talk about
1: some of the common mistakes. Back when I got into this business in the 60s, I was younger then, obviously, but I mean, I got into it. There was the men like the bodybuilders, you know, like I idolized Arnold and Sergio Oliva and and Lou Ferrigno and all the guys. So I, I idolized those people. But I do know this, when they get in the gym, their program has to do with More resistance training. They don't do a whole lot of cardio, the bodybuilders, because I know I've trained with these guys. I've trained with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I've trained with Luke Ferrigno. i train trained with a lot of people in Muscle Beach in San Diego. And I mean, L.A. area, Muscle Beach, not too long ago. Well, actually, last century. Time flies. (laughs) But, yeah, but my program is I started when I was, I say, 14. And I, I started going the just on the basement with just a weight set doing it at home and i you know, there's all kinds of things you could do i mean there's app you know, there's there's power techs there's the one that people do it's a bunch of pulleys but there are all kinds of machines you can take home and, and do them you don't need to even go to a gym but now gyms abound they're everywhere so you can go and join a gym and you don't need a personal trainer but if you don't know what you're doing, I would highly recommend you get with a trainer so they can keep you safe with technique and form and so forth. But like I said, I started when I was 14. I did it so I could be, I guess, bigger and stronger for football. And it paid off handsomely. But then I just got addicted to it. I think it's a positive addiction, however. So I started doing it and I just kept with it even after the season was over with because I feel it's the best anti-aging medicine known to mankind. And there is a certain physician, female, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, osteopath. She's trademarked uh, her practice as being muscle-centric medicine. So she feels that the uh, primary organ of longevity is your muscle mass because it's metabolically active. So she recommends that in her practice that everybody do resistance training to enhance their muscle mass because as you get older, It's harder to keep that mass on. And if you think about it, when you start getting too old, like I used to work in the hospital and I see people who are old and they're wasting away, they're cachectic and their muscle mass is virtually nil. But you don't see people who are active and weight training with a lot of muscle mass who are sick. They don't go to the hospital because they are very, very healthy. Like I said, exercise is not only medicine, it is the best medicine.
0: Yeah. So what are some of the common mistakes that you see? Oh, yeah. I, I, I got it. With hormone protocols. Yeah, we, we got, got off, off on we that. We got you off track know, I, I, did, I did kind of brain
1: fart there <laughs> a little bit. All right. So the common mistakes for hormone optimization. Yeah, I forgot. Thanks, Amy. You know, as I, as I was talking about that, I said, I don't think she asked me that question. All right. The common mistakes are easy. Yeah, are you talking like when a man sees a doctor for testosterone optimization therapy? Yeah. Okay. That's easy then. The common mistake is men get prescribed, the dose is, the, the frequency of the dosing is much too protracted. I mean, it used to be when I entered this game that the uh, man would get injected with testosterone once a month. And then I still think it's once every two weeks is what the endocrinologists tend to believe, once every two weeks. But if you study the half-life of testosterone, that's, that's absurd. So I find the biggest mistake is in the dose and the dosing. So men try to, you know, they always say, "But well, Doc, you know, I want, you know, I want this, I want that." But I said, "No, no, no, no. Listen, your body is only producing, on average, four to seven milligrams of testosterone per day. So if you take that and the, the, the high end, seven milligrams a day seven forty nine, so let's make it fifty. So at the high end, your body is only producing fifty milligrams of testosterone per week. So I firmly believe that." 50 milligrams of testosterone twice a week for 100 for that week is a good place to start because I can optimize 90% of my men on 50 milligrams twice a week. But most doctors, are, you start every two-week dosing, which is, not, which is not good. They start too much, too high, so they get a big surge and then they crash. Big surge and they crash. So the idea is to compress the dosing regimen to most closely mimic how your body pulses with testosterone daily. So I tell my men now, twice a week is the minimum amount of dosing you need to do. Some men three times a week. There was a time I was doing everyday dosing of testosterone to mimic my own. Were
0: you doing it sub-Q or IM? 20
1: milligrams sub-Q for 140 mgs for the week. So you have sub-Q and IM. So sub-Q for the needle phobes, it's virtually painless. So, yes, the biggest mistake I see is that men are prescribed too much testosterone with too much space in between, so they're on a roller coaster ride. So it's very hard on them to, I guess, equilibrate and find a sweet spot. And I've had so many wives tell me that I want my husband off of this protocol because he's, an, he's a Jekyll and Hyde. So I asked the wife, I said, what's this protocol? Well, the doctor gave him, you know, injection once per month. I said, well, no wonder. No wonder he's up and down. You know, it's just, you can't stabilize the guy. So more frequent, smaller doses. I M sub Q. Either way, they're both they're both good. I just find, for me personally, I find I M is work, works best for me personally. But I do sub Q too.
0: And then, believe it or not, we still see people in our market clinics blocking estrogen. Do you have an opinion on this?
1: Yeah, let me tell you something about that. When I first got out of this business back in the 60s, no one even measured their estrogen because men didn't even go to the doctors. They just did it underground, and they managed themselves by just how they looked, how they felt. So they never even measured estrogen. But then when the, the bro science got really big in the 70s, I think predominantly, is when, you know, these muscle heads were using such large quantities of testosterone amongst others. uh, They'd have high peaks and they would attribute any emotional unleveling or emotional upset or strange sensations that they'd they think, well, that's got to be my estrogen. But we know now that estrogen is an intracrine hormone, meaning... It only acts at the cellular level. So what is spilling over into the serum means nothing. In fact, I don't even measure it anymore. I don't, I don't measure it because guys focus on it. And they, oh, yeah. I said, no, 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 no. I mean, so there is a highly sensitive estrogen, which is more accurate than the regular one. But I will look at it if a guy brings it in because I want to see that if the testosterone is going up, the estrogen is going with it. If it's going down, it's going with it. Because the only way a man makes estrogen, and oh, by the way, you probably know this, Amy, but estrogen is a very, very critical hormone for men's health. So we don't block it because you're not, if you block it, you're crashing your estrogen. And then that gap between the testosterone and the estrogen comes like this. And then what's happening, what's happening now, is that men are being measured by DEXA scans. And they're finding out that a man who's been on AIs for five, ten, fifteen years, it's starting to develop osteopenic and osteoporotic bones, much like an older lady, because estrogen is very, very critical for bone health, amongst other things. But that's that's what we're measuring now. And so a lot of men a lot of doctors don't know that if they watch the DEXA scan and see that bones are becoming old ladies' bones, they say, well what's causing that? That's the that's the estrogen blocker. So you have to make sure that you keep up with the science and do not block estrogen. It's an intricate hormone. What you see in the serum means nothing as to how it's functioning at the individual cell level in different tissues.
0: And I don't know if you've seen this or not in your area, but as HCG has become more complicated to get, clinics are throwing a Clomid at the patient So, in place of HCG and... What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I got a lot of thoughts on that. You know, yeah, yeah they <laughs> clomi- throw clomid or enclomaphene citrate. All right. Back in the day. And I
0: guess just to back up, there, this is not monoclomid therapy. This is in conjunction with right. their testosterone. Right. But I. For, quote, testicular shrinkage or keeping sperm count up. So now go ahead.
1: I've seen doctors who have a young man, they say, well, you, you're not, testosterone is alone. low if you're too young to be on testosterone, let's just throw some Clomid at you. Anyhow, I rarely, if ever, use Clomid, but there's you no, know, there's Gonadirellin that's in, coming in place, but I don't have good clinical results with Gonadirellin. The newest one that I'm using now is Kispeptin 10. It just works differently and it's dosed differently. And it's not cheap, <laughs> but I find that I'm able to keep the man's hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis alive by throwing on some KISS peptin 10 two or three times a week sub-Q because I can't seem to get a hold of the HCG anymore because it's a biological now because greater than 40 amino acids. I don't know. I can't get it.
0: Yeah, which you and I both know is all politics and big pharma. It's very frustrating. It at the is. and at the end of the day, the patients are paying the price for this HCG crap that that we're seeing because if the FDA wanted us to move to commercial HCG, then the commercial branded companies needed to be ready for the volume they were going to receive. It's hard to even get the commercial HCG. It's crazy.
1: You mean Pregnil? Yes. Yeah, it's hard to get it. Yeah, and I, I know it's so hard to much- get it,
0: and it's. Expensive.
1: I know somebody in New Jersey that saw this coming down the chute, and he he bought a, a large supply of it. <laughs> so he's got it. On, he's got it on hand. Uh, but again, it's going by by. It's difficult. And what well, I use it a lot. I use HCG. Another common mistake: men get put on testosterone, HCG, AI, all at the same time. Many of these Me Too clinics, you know, you go to men's health. They say we got you got testosterone. And all and HCG with it. So I'm an old school where I feel I'm going to put a man on one hormone at a time. And I'm going to get them to feel that and I'm going to balance that out. So testosterone first. In the old day, we didn't we didn't need HCG. You know, we just used testosterone, whatever we else could get our hands on. We didn't measure it. But now that we're measuring it. Yes, HCG is, I used it. Now, if I have a young man whose testosterone is low but the pituitary gland signal to the testicles is low, I'll try kicking it on with some HCG as monotherapy. But that rarely works. And it has in some young men, but once you're above 55 years old, in particular, I find it's not very beneficial as monotherapy. But I'll only throw it on if a guy wants it after I get him balanced out with the testosterone. Then I'll throw it on. But again, it's moot point now because I can't get it. But now I'm talking Kiss Peptin 10, I'll throw it on. Like if they want to keep their swimmers alive, they're thinking about maybe impregnating or procreating with their spouse in the near future. I tell them about the do's and don'ts of that. and, And then I'll tell them we need to put you on something to keep that hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis alive. But I never, ever, ever met a man, ever, that I couldn't kick back on. Either with just naturally by just taking time off, let do let the body do it on its own, or just starting with some HCG or now kiss peptin.
0: Yeah, I think it's kind of a little bit of a misconception that people think that they're not going to have a sperm count anymore once they come off the testosterone. It's like, that's, that's really not a thing. I mean, it's a very, very, it would be a very, very small. The studies that I've seen, it's like a very small percentage of chance that would ever happen.
1: Well, I in in graduate school, I did a I did a thesis on using testosterone as a means to make men sterile. And guess what? It didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work.
0: I don't know if this is a personal question or not, but testicular size, a female perspective. I don't think men should worry about their testicular size. But the men that are coming in and want the HCG or whatever we're going to use at this point to try to get their testicular size. Back. What, what do you say to what do you say to those patients?
1: I try to tell them. And as a
0: man, does it matter to you?
1: No, I know very few men my age that got into this in the sixties and seventies that give a rat's behind about their testicular size. I <laughs> don't, now but I, but some men feel that was, they're so they have so light and that they've actually come up into their abdominal cavity, which is hogwash. It doesn't. They make they may ride up higher, and some men get some pain, testodinia. With that painful testicles, with that, I think it's more psychological. To be honest with you. So yeah, I would use it. And again, the testicles only shrink up maybe ten or fifteen percent. That's not even significant, in my opinion. But some men are particular about that, and they they want their boys to be full, and they think that their wife cares. But yeah, that's where we're use. I would use HCG then. But now my database, my patient base using this peptin now in lieu of HCG for that purpose is not large enough. I haven't had anybody come back yet to see if it's working as well as HCG has.
0: Yeah. And what we're seeing a lot of as well is men getting on these DHT blockers like Propecia, Finasteride, that they're able to get online really easy now with these keeps and hems and romans and not really understanding the impact that it has on their hormones. How are you handling that in your practice?
1: Yeah, well, hair loss is an issue, obviously. So I tell a man, if he's concerned about hair loss, if he's a genetic predisposition for hair loss, is concerned about it, then I recommend topicals. Like there's minoxidil topical foam shampoos. Yeah. There's even some peptides that some of these pharmacies will put together that I've had good luck with. But oral finasteride, you have to study or read about PFS, stands for post-finasteride syndrome. It's a real syndrome. There are some significant consequences downstream of a man taking oral propicia uh, finasteride. Yeah, so finasteride, but PFS is serious. And I tell all my guys, I say, doc, I want to try finasteride for my hair. I say, you better read about PFS. If you read about it and you still want me to... Prescribe it, I will. But no man has ever come in after researching it and said, "Yeah, I want some of that." No, so PFS yeah, is because real because here
0: you are putting them on testosterone, and then they want to take something that's blocking the DHT. So it's kind of like it doesn't make a lot of sense. But yeah, that post finasteride syndrome is a scary. Thing and if guys Google that and read that, I can't imagine wanting to be on that medication. No, you're
1: all just still use it a lot for like I was placed on it because I've had two terps, two terps meaning transurethral resections of the prostate. I mean, the prostate gets large, it can't urinate, so they got to go up through the rotor root It's terrible. I wouldn't wish to find my worst enemy, but they put you routinely on uh, finasteride after that, and I went on it for a bit. Then I researched the PFS and I stopped it immediately.
0: Yeah. So since we're kind of on the topic a little bit of the, the sexual health, do you take a daily Cialis or do you put your patients on a daily Cialis?
1: I firmly believe, Amy, that if every human being, adult, man and woman, could afford to take a five milligram daily Cialis, they should do it. First of all, it's the only medicine that's been prescribed and bona fide by the FDA, approved, as the word, approved by the FDA to treat BPH, benign prostatic hypertrophy. So I noticed when I was on it, not only did, it, did my urine flow stronger, but you can take your five milligram daily of thialis before your gym workout, along with Neo40 or some, some arginine, citrulline, and you will get highly much, I mean, I find my vascularity comes out. And I'm pretty vascular as it is, but yeah, if you, you do a Cialis 5 mgs daily, you will find that you'll be much more vascular in the gym. It'll make your workouts more impressive. And you, in my opinion, whenever you can increase blood flow, now I tell people these PDE5Is don't just increase blood flow to the penis. They increase blood flow to every part of the body, and blood flow is life. Blood flow is health. Blood flow is youth.
0: Yeah, so you're viewing it as one of the top anti aging medications on the market, or that a man can take.
1: I am so on board with the daily Cialis for any anybody that can afford it. Women too, because this, again, it increases ENOS, which is the endothelial nitric oxide synthase, which is a basically a, a very ephemeral hormone that helps the vessels dilate and then deliver more oxygenated blood. So you know, people don't realize that Viagra was discovered serendipitously. I mean, they prescribed Viagra for blood pressure. And then when they realized it wasn't doing a squat for blood pressure, when the scientists recalled it, the men weren't bringing it back. So they found out, why do not you bring it back? Because these doc, It didn't help my blood pressure. But you know what? Helped there. So that was a serendipitous finding back in 97, 98, late 90s. Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We're big proponents of the daily Cialis. And then you mentioned the supplement Neo40. We we like that nitric oxide booster as well.
1: Nitrous oxide is, is the vascular hormone of youth.
0: And there's all kinds of ways to
1: get it. There's the beets, the red beets, the beet powders. But Neo40 is great. I'm a big proponent of that, but if you can afford a five milligram Cialis, and you don't have a lot of back pain with it, then I recommend everybody get on a five milligram Cialis.
0: Yeah, back to the testosterone because uh, we we touched on just injections. Do you do any creams or gels or transdermal creams in your practice?
1: Yes, I find that some men need, well, they don't get the results they're looking for on injections. And, you know, research indicates that if you use a transcrotal cream, you get a, some more DHT conversion. And DHT is four times more powerful as an androgenic anabolic agent than is testosterone. And some men need that DHT bump to get them feeling that the libido is now strong, or like it was. So, yeah, I have a my man will say, Yeah, doc, I'm feeling great, but my libido is not there. So I suggest a transcrotal cream. And 90% of the men say, Yeah, that's my sweet spot, doc. The cream was was working.
0: Yeah, and for guys that don't like to inject, I think it's also a a great option.
1: The needle foam you're right. But I got a lot of guys that don't like applying creams.
0: Ball butter. We call it ball butter. Yeah, they don't like doing (laughs) that or they
1: forget about it. and of course, you got to worry about trans, you know, contamination with your partner. But that's not an issue. But mostly it's the fact that they, they don't like, they forget a dose. They don't like doing it. They think it's sticky, gooey. But yeah, but I find in general, I'll always put a man on the gold standard injections first and then transition into the cream if I find that the libido is not enhanced like they'd like it to be.
0: Let's talk about lab results. And I think you and I are going to be in agreement here that a provider should be treating a patient's symptoms, not chasing a lab number. And that goes both ways, uh, taking them up to a certain lab number or pulling them down to a certain lab number. You have a ton of clinical experience, though. So in your clinical experience, is there a certain range that you typically see patients experience symptom relief? And I know this isn't going to be for everybody, but I'm just curious what you typically see.
1: The range that the A4M, the American College of Anti-Aging Medicine, recommends is on total testosterone 800 to 1,200. However, I don't treat numbers. I treat men. Which means if I got to get a guy higher than that, the sweet spot where I take him to make him feel better. I have guys who are on, I have to take him to 300 milligrams a week. Now, I can't go higher than that. These pharmacies won't fill it. But a lot of my men who have been on testosterone, you know, like bodybuilders who've abused it for a lot of years, many times they need 240, 280, 300 milligrams a, a week to get them to feel normal. So the answer to that question is I don't treat numbers, I treat men. Even though I, look, I tell them 800 to 1200, I take them to the number, it must be, to get the free testosterone above 25, and most of my men feel good when their free testosterone is the 35 to 45 range.
0: Yeah, the reality is that is your clinical experience, and you've treated thousands of patients and...
1: Tens of thousands.
0: Yeah, yeah, and been doing it yourself for a very, very long time.
1: And that's a big issue, Amy. You know, people treat numbers, and they you always know, say, Oh, well, my doctor says I need to go off the numbers too high, but I feel great. I said, Well, that's good. You know, could we don't listen, the environment is so full of pollutants, toxicants, pesticides, plastics, estrogenic compounds. Men today do not have the testosterone levels their fathers had. Definitely don't have the testosterone levels their grandfathers had. And that's due to the fact that if every generation with a more estrogenic compounds that get into the air, beauty products, you know, are estrogenic. Many, 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 many women are on oral birth control pills, and guess what they do? They urinate, and that gets flushed out the toilet. Goes to, it doesn't get filtered out in the drinking system. So there's so many estrogens floating around in the, in the environment today that men, men's testosterone today are a mere pittance of what our grandfathers or great-grandfathers experienced. And oh, by the way, one, one last thing. As men age, it's common for testosterone to come down, but common does not mean normal. Here's what I'm getting at. When I trained in Japan and Okinawa, Okinawa is the place in the world that has more people that live to be 100 than any other place in the world. They've studied these people in Okinawa. And do you know that there's not one man in Okinawa that needs testosterone? And they live to their eighties, nineties, hundreds, and guess what? They don't have an issue with testosterone. Their testosterone is as high as it was when they were twenty-five. When they're seventy-five or eighty-five, across the board, Okinawans' testosterone do not diminish. So, because Americans do, that is considered normal. No, it is normal, but I mean, sorry, it's it's common, but common is not normal. That's not normal. Our men's testosterone to come down like that, but it does because I think the pesticides, the herbicides, the phthalates, the bisphenol A, the plastics, the beauty aids, but yeah.
0: You name it. Well, I really enjoyed our conversation today. We're you know coming up on that hour mark, and I think we gave the people listening a lot of insight here. And you have a lot of sexual health experience as well, so maybe we can have you back on sometime and we can talk about the sexual health side of hormone optimization but I'm going to want to provide like an email or a social media or something where people can get a, get a hold of you. So maybe you can give that, either give that to me now. Do you know it off the top of your head or I can attach it in the show notes after the fact?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I can either give you my email address or my wife's, my, manages my business. I can give you her email because everybody that wants to, you know, ask me questions or maybe think about me come, becoming their physician with my years of experience and they go through her, but I'll give you my, my email, and then if I can screen them, and I'll, then I'll be able to send them to her. If I think there's somebody that's, that's serious uh, thinking about maybe becoming a patient or wants just to ask my advice. So, my email my email is jruterbush at yahoo.com. So, j r u t e r b u s c h at yahoo.com.
0: Okay, perfect. And I'll attach that in the show notes. And, and Dr. Ruterbush is very active on a lot of Facebook testosterone forums and boards. So you might see him pop up answering, answering people's questions. That's actually how I, I started noticing that he knew what the hell he was talking about when he was responding to people's questions on these boards. And that's how him and I ended up communicating a couple of years ago. So as always, please like, share, rate the show. That's how we continue to grow the podcast. That's how I continue to get guests on here. I appreciate everybody listening and we will talk again soon.